welcome everybody. Welcome Anna. Thank you for uh, coming on as our guest. And uh, so for everybody, I'm going to introduce uh, our wonderful spotlightest artist of today is Ana Maria Calachero, who was born in Miami in 1981, but spent most of her childhood in Bogota, Colombia. Her first nonfiction manuscript, A Petit Mal, was awarded the International Beverly Prize for Literature and will be published by Eyewear Press. It was also finalist in the Tarpaulin Sky Press Book Awards, the Essay Press Prize, and the Split Lip Press Reading Cycle. Her collection, Entre Domingo y Domingo, from Sunday to Sunday, won Colombia's 2014 Jose Manuel Arango National Poetry Prize and was a finalist for the Nationwide Ediciones Embalaje Prize. Silver Birch Press published her chapter book, Reverse Commute, as part of an anthology of poetry chapbooks. And Finishing Line Press published Midlife, her first standalone chapbook in 2016. Her work reached the final round of consideration in Plowshares Emerging Writers Contest, judged by Leslie Jameson, and was shortlisted for Redividers Blur Jenner Contest. Her writing has appeared in numerous outlets, including the LA Review of Books, Tupelo Quarterly, Sundog Lit, The South East Review, SWWIM, and High Ally Magazine. Much of her published work can, can be read there. As a graduate student of poetry at Florida International University, Ana Maria was a runner-up for the Academy of American Poets Prize. In 2003, she graduated with a magna cum laude BA in Romance Studies from Harvard University, where she was awarded a scholarship by Madrid's, Madrid's Complutense University to complete her honors thesis work. She believes poems should be valued as works of art and is excited about making this value manifest via blockchain technology. Wow, welcome, welcome. Amazing. Thank you, Liana, for that intro. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's, you're you're uh, incredible. Like, uh, your whole trajectory is, like, uh, amazing, amazing. I will pass the mic to you so you can introduce yourself. And, um, yeah. Well, hi, everyone. Um, like Diana mentioned, I am a... I'm a poet and essayist. Um, I, I've written um, short pieces of creative nonfiction that have been published in various journals, and then I have a nonfiction manuscript coming out next year called A Petit Mal. Um, and I have been in the crypto writing scene since July. Um, I had felt before. Um, encountering the writing scene that there was um, an opportunity for, for poetry to take on a new life um, by embracing the visual arts and new media. Because um, when you publish a poem, so the process of getting a poem published um, is arduous, long, and actually expensive. You usually have to pay to have journals read your work and then it can take several months for them to actually get back to you as every writer knows for every acceptance there's 30 rejections so it never really balances out let's say numbers wise um and i just felt like once a poem was even published it was counter it was anticlimactic because the journals are usually run by small groups of volunteers even if they're prestigious um, they're usually 
tied to universities or to presses with limited budgets. So, you know, even if one of your poems is out in the world, it's not really out in the world. It's in a journal that the reality is not a lot of people were reading. So I was taking advantage of social media by digitalizing my poems and putting them on um, Instagram. Honestly, I hadn't touched my Twitter account for five years before encountering the crypto art scene. Um, but uh, somebody, a friend, pointed me to Art Chick and her Etio poems. I began engaging. They, I, they invited me to join their Discord, and then I was invited to join the second drop, um, which completely was a change of life. I'm so grateful to Art Chick for having including, included me, opening all these new doors for my art. Um, since encountering the crypto scene, um, my, my poems have been um, sort of shared widely now and i feel like there's this new engaged audience that is reading them responding to them and that you know irregardless of sales has really been the most rewarding part of sharing my art um with the crypto scene um, my poems are available as nfts on OpenSea, on foundation on hicket nunk um, they're part of the latest Fort Gallery show on HIC. Um, they're also part of Monograma NFT Gallery. Um, and as a story, right, I love telling sort of life as a series of stories. I had prepared a series of poems as video poems for Poetry Foundation, which is the most prestigious poetry organization in the U.S., had prepared a series of really elaborate video poems for them in April, so way before Ether poems even, um, and sent it to them. To this day, I have not heard back from them. Um, and so what I did when Known Origin opened the door again for applications is I took these exact same poems that I had kind of left reserved for Poetry Foundation, and I submitted them to Known Origin. And within 24 hours, I had a response from Known Origin um, saying, hey, verify your account, we want to onboard you as an artist. Um, so, you know, as, a, as an artist, to see me still waiting for Poetry Foundation to get back to me and knowing that it's kind of unlikely that they're going to be open to this new format on the one side, and then seeing Known Origin onboard me, um, I tweeted about them accepting me and then they retweeted and they were like we're so excited to have poetry in our house um on the other hand so you know as as a poet i'm like this is this is opportunity this is promise um this is a direction that i definitely want to explore um there's a study that i i love to quote by the national endowment of the arts that's a a very important um ngo in the u.s that provides government funding to artists. Um, and they did a study on poetry and uh, the consumption of poetry, if that's the right word to say it, in the US, and they found that it was growing by more than 50% amongst the young demographics. Um, so there's a demand there um, for those of you who might have seen sort of the presidential inauguration when Biden was, was elected, um, his, you know, the scene stealer was not Jennifer Lopez singing the national anthem. Even the Obamas and their incredible, you know, powerful struts and outfits weren't the, the, the real headline. The headline was a poet, was Amanda Gorman. Um, 
so there isn't personal poetry, but I feel like there's a disconnect between the way it is packaged and the way that the world is now working, which is online, which is virtually. Um, so I'm just really excited about the potential of the NFT scene for poetry. I'm sorry. Oops. Sorry. I'm sorry. I muted everybody. Oh. Of course. <laughs> no so sorry. I thought, I thought the, the internet had broken the world again. <laughs> My goodness. No. <laughs> Um, so I think that also the blocks, I mean, poems for, for generations and forever, I guess, have been vessels of transmitting culture, right? Very valuable one, like from, from Homer to, to Louis Glick, um, poets have really sort of been the oracles of our time, but poems have not been valued commercially. Um, I don't know why this is so, but it's just the way it is. And I feel like the blockchain offers a chance to break that pattern and for poems to be recognized as works of art. Um, and this will, I think, necessitate poets being open to experimenting with new media, um, sound, music, the sound of their own voices, right? How intimate, it, you can't get more intimate than someone's eyes and someone's voice, right? Um, and then also visuals to collaborate with artists and infuse our poems with with what people are want to see and want to experience i don't think that diminishes the craft in any way shape or form to be cognizant of how people are consuming culture um so i think i think it's very exciting um i can't wait for the poet the traditional poetry world to maybe one day notice what's happening in this space and the opportunities that abound. Um, but in the meantime, um, I'm happy to just, you know, kind of do it with a few friends. I see Callan in the audience. Callan is the founder of the Crypto Writers Discord and then a wonderful um, conceptual artist and writer. Um, and with Callan, you know, we're, we're happy to be sort of one of the few people, I guess, creating poems. I see Karma Kache out there too. He's a wonderful poet and involved in the crypto writer scene. Um, and I, I speak for myself, but I feel I speak also for, for, for a wider array of poets in the scene that, you know, sales are great and important, but right now I'm just happy to be creating opportunity for poetry as a whole, not even crypto. Poetry. I, I, uh, yeah. I love you. I admire you so much. Uh, everything that comes out of your mouth resonates with me every time. And I am so grateful for the technical difficulties we had yesterday. Um, and I hate to sound cliche, but <laughs> everything that's happened for a reason. And I say this because we approached the conversation yesterday in a much different way than we started today. And for you to start with just right away with uh, what attracts you to NFTs and how you're moving into a space that uh, really is kind of like you're moving in the dark and you're taking that leap of faith in a place where there is really not other people to mimic in terms of poetry, in terms of writing. And I think it's bringing uh, the conversation a lot uh, of light. Um, and I think it's an amazing introduction, uh, what you've said. Uh, but you're so rich, 
your story is so rich, your background is so rich that I want to make sure that we put some light into that uh, and and the what and the journey of what's happened before this, before you lie. What, what was Ana Maria? What happened to you? How did you land it? And all these different writing journeys that you've, uh, you know, uh, explore in your life. Uh, all these different hats that you put your work um, with the government in Colombia in a time with cocaine, um, you know, and not cocaine, but yeah, cocaine was a an issue and it was environmentally an issue that was destroying the Amazon. And so uh, there is all these ounces of your life that are so freaking incredible that have made you who you are. Uh, that have made you the resilient woman that you are today in this space. And I want to make sure that we go and touch those uh, those aspects, Ana Maria, for everyone's uh, interest. Um, and so I love to go there. And I'm not sure how we tie the conversation. Uh, but again, you were like yesterday, you, you mentioned you were born in the U.S. Uh, you went back to Colombia. Your dad was ill. So... If you could, uh, in a way, kind of tie all these different hats together and tell us how all those different things have brought us to where you are today and inspired you to create the poetry because you started as a writer, not a poet. And uh, that will be amazing. And I know this is a huge question, uh, but we can definitely digest a little by little. But I love to go kind of back to kind of the beginnings and maybe those things that highlight you, that you remember, that really mark you and uh, just kind of shape your journey as a poet. So I'll stop here and I'll let you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll try to keep it interesting and, and brief, right? <laughs> um, but um, I, I began writing poems. Um, I remember it very well in seventh grade. Um, it began, it began right after reading San Cisneros' The House on Mango Street. Um, she is a wonderful, wonderful sort of Chicana writer. Um, and she wrote Little Vignettes. Um, and I began writing on the back of my notebooks uh, for school. So I'd write notes on the beginning, and then I'd write my creative writing in the back. And then I started um, overtaking my notes and having to go to the drugstore and buy these composition notebooks over and over. Um, so that's, um, that's, how, that's how I began writing. And then I enrolled in a creative writing class, which, you know, everyone who always asks me, like, how do I begin as a writer? I'm always saying, you know, get, go to class. You really, as a student, you learn so much. And I think wearing the hat as a student sort of overtly by enrolling in a class really puts you in the frame of mind of learning um, and, and being open to receiving that instruction. So anyway, I, I began writing poems, um, sort of, I guess, more officially in, in class. And then I slipped poems into my application, my early application at Harvard University. And I know that that's why I got in, in my heart of hearts. I know that's why I was accepted. Um, I studied literature there. And then when I graduated, uh, my dream was to live in New York City, um, you know, along with every other 20-year-old graduating from college who had big dreams. Um, and the reality of living in New York meant I needed a job that paid. So I uh, enrolled and I applied for jobs and ended up working in finance in a hedge fund 
which went from $2 billion to $9 billion in the one year that I worked there. So let's say I'm familiar with bubbles, um, and it's something that I think has informed a little bit my um, my journey here in the NFT space. And yes, I did mention the B word, the bubble word, but um, it's something to be wary of um, and, and cautious, right, as we maneuver spaces of, of rapid growth. Um, but anyway, that didn't last long because it was soulless and, and very macho-driven, weird world. Um, and then my father grew ill. Oh, sorry, before that, I worked as a freelance journalist in New York, which was fascinating. I worked with a, a Colombian journalist called Isaac Lee, who is to this day um, very active in, in Univision and Telemundo, which are the big Latin um, networks in the U.S. And he really was a master connector of, of people. Um, I became his New York correspondent. And this is a highlight. We interviewed Mayor Michael Bloomberg, um, and this was shortly after 9-11. Um, and we, um, we interviewed him more on, his, on the security side of things. And that is a, a highlight definitely in my journey, having sat down with Bloomberg for a couple of hours and knowing how he was protecting New York City in the years following 9-11 um, was just, just an incredible experience. Um, but anyway, this, this job took me uh, through a couple of years and then I, I went back to Colombia because my father was ill. And in Colombia, I sent out my CV widely and eventually was hired by the vice president um, of the country to help him run his international press campaign, which whose aim was to educate more the Europeans. They didn't really mess with the U.S. Um, and I think this is because the U.S., there's always a hidden message right to everything and the u.s is a heavy donor on the to colombia for security um, aspects and and alternative coca plantation crops already so really the vice president was charged with getting the europeans hopefully to um contribute more as the europeans are such huge consumers of cocaine um it's just the reality and um so he the vice president was a scion of the the uh, El Tiempo, which is the main newspaper in Colombia, and he um, he was personally kidnapped for 18 months, so he was just one of these figures that didn't give a fuck. I mean, he just did whatever he wanted, and he also had newspaper in his blood, so he understood the value of the press. Um, so he said, let's take it from an environmental perspective. The Europeans claim to be huge environmentalists. Let's um, show them what coca cultivation does to the Amazon. And so, you know, we took journalists from The Economist, from The Washington Post, um, and also from, you know, like the main BBC, like the main European outlets. But then he also went to London um, to meet the Queen and had a press gamut and dropped this line saying, Kate Moss is destroying the Colombian rainforest. This was when, you know, Kate Moss's um, cocaine sort of scandal had broken. And so this drove, of course, the very hungry British tabloids wild. And all of them were knocking like crazy on the door saying, we want to go to Colombia, we want to document this. And so we took, uh, for example, I spent a week with a, I think it was a Daily Mirror or the, or the Sun, um, a, a journalist from the Sun going in Blackhawks, escorted by the Colombian military, entering, you know, red territory, he wanted to, you know, see a cocaine lab being dismantled. I mean, he was in it for the gore, 
but we had an underlying message which which was really the amazon is getting destroyed by poor cultivation and it's something that needs to be considered um and so that was just a wonderful experience uh, really really interesting um and then uh my poetry was getting written all the time i was single in my 20s in bogota which is a very fun city uh also a very dark and hard latin american developing city um with pollution traffic with its hard edges so um, when I got married, finally, <laughs> I um, had a child, and with the birth of my child, I stopped working. And it was when I stopped working that the poetry just kind of burst from within, and I organized it into a book, and I submitted it um, to various contests. And you know, to my complete and utter surprise, it won a national poetry award in Colombia. Um, I was the first woman to win it, which was very exciting. Um, and then it won second prize in another contest. And so I was like, okay, this could be something. Let's let's do it. And then I started a blog to document also my reading, and I called it the Drugstore Notebook, kind of in honor of those notebooks that as a child I would keep having to go by in drugstores to, um, to take notes for classes because I was filling them up with my writing. Um, and then... Um, we had to move to the U.S., and I kept writing. Um, I began working in, in various jobs with that mostly just involved my family. Um, nothing as interesting as my um, my Colombian vice president gig. Um, mostly just kind of helping my father out with his stuff because he's he had a stroke and he just couldn't take care of anything anymore. Um, and all the while writing and writing and. That's when I organized my poems in English into chapbooks, and two were published. And then I said, you know what, I need to be a student again. And I enrolled in Florida International University in Miami as a student. Um, and I took a class in lyric essay, which is sort of a creative writing, poetic prose um, that format. And while I was in this class, my son, my six-year-old son, started having seizures. And um, as I was explaining yesterday to Jimena and Diana and Nani, there's a lot of seizures out there. There's sort of the poltergeist, writhing on the floor, eyes roll back seizure, which traditionally have been called grand mal seizures. Um, and then there's all these other seizures that people don't really understand, not even doctors or scientists, called petite mal seizures, so little bad seizures, where people like trip or people lose sight of the conversation and get distracted or they're laughing seizures and my son had laughing seizures he started out having a couple a day and it escalated to 20 a day at night he would wake up laughing it was really scary and i poured this experience into a text called a petit man which is a little bad right which is also symbolic of, of you know there's so many bigger evils out there but this was a this was a little bad um, and we experimented with all sorts of treatments, both in Western medicine and alternative healing. So it's also a treatise on, on you know, Western medicine versus more maybe spiritual ways of healing. Um, and eventually a combination of both was what found a treatment that worked for my son. Um, so it's, you know, very symbolic of maybe we need to have science, but we cannot let go of you know, of faith and God and diet at the same time. So I hope that that was um, <laughs> what you guys were wanting to hear. It was really long.
Um, I don't know if there's any more questions or if you guys want me to read some poems or... No, I just... Uh... Here, I uh, absolutely love, it's never too long. Uh, I could listen to you forever. And I think before we kind of move to the next question, uh, I'm gonna do just a quick research for everyone that's joining. Welcome, this is the NFT Outer Space series hosted by myself, Jimena, Diana, and Danielle, who are uh, here as, as the, you know, the host and the co-host of the room. This is a safe space for everyone, and today we are being honored and having the opportunity to interview the NFT poet and writer, Ana Maria Caballero. And in today's conversation, we're going to go, or we are currently going through a set of questions to spotlight Ana Maria's story and her journey, her life journey, but also uh, her journey here in the NFT space. And at the end, we will have a Q&A for anyone with questions uh, that, you know, that's interesting coming up. Um, so yeah, we hope you are enjoying this conversation. Uh, our DMs are open always for suggestions or comments. And uh, with that said, uh, I think we'll move on to the next question. And Danielle, I see that your hand is raised. Go ahead. Thank you, Jimé. Anna, having you here is wonderful. Uh, my boyfriend is in the audience. He's uh, addicted to reading, addicted, addicted to reading, addicted to books. And the guy just sparked back uh, my reading, um, the love for reading again. Because I, I'm a very functional reader uh, and I write too much. I write, I do love writing. But let me tell you this I was, I was, my last book was uh, Fernando Molano, he's a uh, Bogota writer. Mm, and on, on the on the book I read from him, he defined poetry in a very subtle way. He actually made an essay for the university he was he was studying on. And I would like to ask from your side, what is poetry to you? Anna? Mm. So for me, poetry is um, sort of giving words to the unnameable. By um, by the mood, right? So so there's something called poetic voice, which to me is what defines a good poet, really. And voice is nothing other than soul. Um, so if you read the poems of one of my favorite poets, Louise Glick, you feel her soul. You feel her personality coming through the poems, um, and it goes beyond language. It goes beyond words. So for me, it's very important for my poem to have that voice, the whatever you want to call the Anna, the Anna soul piece of them in there. Um, and then afterwards, you know, the craft and the form, the rhyming, the no rhyming, the meter, the no meter, all of that will fall into place. But if you don't have voice, if you don't have sort of that thing to say, um, that drive to, to speak, It, your poems are just going to kind of be a little bit flat, right? Or your art or your songs. Like, I remember, you know, reading a, an interview by Madonna when I was young, and it really just has stuck in my head, where she always said, I never thought I was a great singer, but I just had something to say. Um, and, she, you know, she made it. Um, and I, I also feel like Aretha Franklin, for me, has been someone who, I mean, she wasn't a tremendous performer, but she wasn't afraid to share her gift with the world um, and I think that's another component is sort of like that 
that knowledge that what you have to share should be shared is by reading other people's works, by learning about art, by really devoting time to it and saying, you know, what they're doing is as valuable as what I want to do and believing in yourself, as cliche as it sounds, to the point where you're like, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak about my son's illness. I'm going to speak about being tired and not wanting to cook for my kids. I'm going to speak about my marriage. I'm going to speak about whatever it is that we want to speak about, but knowing that it's valuable and putting our soul into it. And I think that comes before the form, right? First comes a soul, and then you have to really, with labor and time and guts, find the right format. That's amazing. I think, uh, I think Anna, you said that so beautifully. Like, uh, those words really uh, resonated for me, and really they can apply to all forms of art. Um, poetry, writing, painting, music. It's really... Um, really touching and and i think it's like a really good way to think about it and and it's true when you know when we have something to say then the form comes after and uh, people are drawn to what our message is and and what we are saying so that that was a really um really beautiful way of of uh i guess putting into words <laughs> here's the, you know we're you're such a great writer so it's, it's wonderful um, putting into words what sometimes we, we think and uh, how we, we ex- what we're trying to do and we don't really realize how we're doing it and it's so true our message and then our form so I really love that thanks yeah. thank you Anna no I think it definitely applies to all art forms um, mm-hmm. you always feel that there's a voice right behind the work uh, Picasso had like you know his bravado in every piece he did. There's like that confidence, right? Which is like nothing other than life. Like what is more confident than a plant shooting from the soil, right? It's like they, it just lives. Like it, it's not gonna stop growing until it dies. Um, just like you know, motion is life. So it's like that force of life that is in our DNA. That is in like that spark of life, um, and you have to really just trust that that voice is important. Because if you don't value it, and if you don't think your own voice is important, like it's impossible, I think, for anyone else really to to think it. It's uh, it's very true, and I think that's something that many artists struggle with. We struggle with um, finding our voice, finding our confidence. And, uh, and thinking, yes, what we have to say is important, but, but it is. And we all have, and all, we all have things to say that are important and should be heard and that we can put out into this world in all these different, in different ways. Um, so I, I totally agree. Daniel, I'll pass the mic to you. Thank you, Yanni. Yanni, you, you mentioned something super important and you may not actually touch also the, the topic. By doing, but when I started uh, on NFTs, uh, I did my research. I, as, I, as I said, I'm a very functional uh, reader, and I did my research on NFTs. And but while doing that, of course, it was uh, at first based on illustration, 3D art, and trying to find a space for photography. But then I realized the potential for everything on NFT, for everything. But then I actually told 
my boyfriend for reading for books and for 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 writers there's a huge potential here in terms of uh, and that, that, that's my idea that's my idea so you you'll correct me if, if not but if there's a huge potential in eliminating the middleman and why is this for everyone in the audience but because we're all artists here how many artists have died poor and their artworks today are sold by millions but their families and their and themselves died poor and, and some of them just disappeared in, in, in history uh, but today they're their artworks are worth million dollars. So, how do you how do you see for the future for yourself? You mentioned non origin, and but for writers, poets, and, and for anyone that has been shut down by an editor, anyone that has been shut down by a, or silenced by a curator, or, or not even replied, never. Um, how do you see that for for coming artists and for not just coming artists, for artists that has been there just writing for themselves, writing their art, because art sometimes is just the, the, the expression of the artist uh, in terms of I want to say this, but even if no one hears it, I want to say it. So how do you see that for everyone else? Or basically for writing. Um, so for writing, I think that, um, and it probably applies to all mediums, but I think that there's like a, like this desire, right, in the NFT space. Um, and the reason why I feel like it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy always is because it, it caters to two countering but simultaneous desires that we all have as humans, which is the need to be free and the need to belong. Um, like we all want to be free and be able to do whatever we want, but at the same time we want to belong to something, right? And those are so counterintuitive, but they're always there accompanying us through our days. Um, and I think that... Um, there's like this desire to say, oh, I'm going to free myself of the shackles of galleries or publishers or all this stuff. And sure, yes, I do think that the NFT space gives us an opportunity to maneuver. But I also think that um, like we can't just discredit all the work done by publishers and galleries historically. And I'm just echoing here something that I've been thinking about since yesterday when Museum of Crypto Art and Sky Nicolas and some other um, sort of figures in the space were having a conversation on Twitter spaces about sort of the future of art in lieu of crypto art, you know, in this like crazy collectible frenzy. And somebody said, you know, we can't just discredit all the work done by the institutions up to now, even if there's so much room for improvement. So I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like, I do think that there is a, an important path that has been paved by publishers in journals um, that has room for improvement. So for a writer that's starting out, I would say don't just discredit all the potential of that world, even if you're going to get rejected a million times like I do every single day. Still keep trying to get published. Don't don't think it's, it's meaningless, um, but just think of the crypto world as a simultaneous parallel opportunity. So, you know, I, I still want to publish a book of poems, like, in a real book with pages and paper. Um, but I also want to publish them as crypto NFTs. And I don't think that they need to be mutually exclusive or that it's somehow like a contradiction that I want to do both, right? Because we all have that. We all have that need to be free and that need to belong. And um, I want to be able to have books out in the world. And I also want to be free from the 
need to only have that outlet. So, you know, if you're a photographer, Danny, you know, it'd be amazing one day to have a show at a gallery while you you publish your poems, your photographs as NFTs. So I would say, like, why not do both and welcome source both into your to your efforts. In fact, we have uh, an idea for you with Diana. <laughs> we'll we'll come that we'll come with that later. But it's an amazing thing that you said. It's an yeah. amazing thing. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for being here. This is an amazing audience. I um, yeah, I agree. They don't need to be mutually exclusive. Um, the NFT world and then the outside world in how we present our art. Um, but I do have a question that is more uh, specific to the NFT world. What advice would you give to writers and poets who are entering the NFT world? Well, the first step is to join the Crypto Writers Discord that Callan, who is in our audience, um, started. I think it's a great resource. It's a very helpful community. There's like really no ulterior motives. I mean, people share their work and sure there's like a, you know, hey, help me get it out of the world, but it's mostly just like, how do I get started? Um, I think that's a great mechanism. I also think um, there is a time to watch and learn. Um, joining Twitter and just kind of lurking and seeing what people are doing is a great way to learn. Um, I did that for many months before I, you know, began with either poems. Just figuring out like even just the lingo um, takes a while, right? And the dynamics takes a while. So I think that's valuable and um, something that no one really can teach you. Um, you have to really just learn by reading. Um, and then I think that, you know, um, you have to figure out what kind of, what you want your poems or your writing to look like as NFTs, right? There's like the logistics of it. Like, do you want them to be videos? Do you want them to be a PDF on pen? What do you think your pricing should be? And I think that will inform your decision whether or not you launch on Tezos, which is kind of a lower entry point and maybe um, a different kind of market, or if you're gonna launch on Ethereum, which is more expensive and you've gotta pay gas fees and all that stuff. Um, so, so I think it's really a watch and learn, join the Crypto Writers Discord, and then figuring out how you want to present your poems to the world. Um, I would say are the first three steps. That's amazing. I love it. Um, and I think anyone listening that has any uh, writing experience or ability or desired uh, should join Ana Maria and watch. And that's something really, uh, what she's saying, it's truly uh, just so full of wisdom and also bulletproof by her actions uh, and her experience. And, uh, you know, she's allowed herself to... Um, just be courageous and be out there and it's just vulnerability and it's hard and again what I was saying at the beginning uh, she is herself building a path that uh, not a lot of people have gone through because uh, as we know there is not a lot of writers in the space but hopefully uh, this conversation is motivating uh, some of you to just take the leap of faith and Ana Maria I want to be very conscious of the time and I, before we jump into questions, would absolutely love to hear, uh, you know, kind of, um, yeah, promotion, <laughs> shill. What NFTs do you have right there now uh, that we, uh, you know, that are for sale? Where do we access them? Uh, how do we purchase your work? 
and yeah that will be amazing before we jump into you know the the question section of the conversation i um i sorry to interrupt but i yeah. also maybe after that i would love uh to hear a poem um by Ana maria and and then we'll jump into some questions and the um, okay, so I'll just share. I don't have that much workout available right now. I have a, um, I have a story in verse on a sync art um, called Kylo Ren and the Divine Feminine. It's built on your 24-hour canvas, and each frame of the story corresponds to an hour of the day, and it, auto- it updates automatically throughout the day. It's um, you know sort of built into the platform's technology. Um, and it's meant to be um, so that each hour stands alone as a piece of, of text, but they are also in conversation with each other. So, you know, time past and time present um, are always in dialogue. Um, and you could start at any point of the day and go around for 24 hours, um, and the story still makes sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, <clears throat> sorry, because um, I've been talking too much. And, um, so that's available. Um, it's a one-one on a sync. Um, then I also have a poem uh, with Monogramma Gallery. It's called Fruition, and it's my most complex poem. It's probably the poem that I'd like to read. So I'll give you guys a bit of context before I read it. Um, that's on Foundation, and then I also have a poem with Fort Gallery and a T called Tumblr, which is a poem about alcoholism um, and how it sort of steals from our days and how women also sort of bear the brunt of this permissive alcoholism that in Latin cultures and around the world is is just very prevalent really. Um, when I read this poem in an in a open mic and there was all these, um, there's a few Eastern European women in the audience and they all sort of raised their hands and said here too, we see that here too. Um, it's not just, you know, the Latin community, so it's probably, you know, everywhere, but, but really, um, you know, the, the bearers of the, of the brunt of alcoholism in the home are, are the women, unfortunately. Um, and then I have a poem that I minted yesterday or the day before on Hicket Nunk. It's called Overdue Love Letter, and it's just a more playful, um, sweeter poem, um, and that's available for 10 tezos. Uh, that is all work that I have available right now yeah. as NFTs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. And I know that was a lot, uh, you know, especially, um, yeah, if you're in the audience and kind of like, what? Foundation? What? He cannot? Why? Asking her? So Ana Maria is very organized, obviously. And if you go to um, the link in her profile, uh, her link tree has a section that is titled NFTs. And then you can click uh, in each of the, the sections there to access each and every one of these uh, beautiful works that she just described. So I do invite everybody to go check out her uh, link tree and uh, also give her a follow and retweet and quote, quote tweet her pink tweet. Uh, and again, uh, that is an amazing and fabulous way to pump the algorithm to allow more eyes in Ana Maria's work. So do that. And I just want to remind everybody that we uh, also have a poem. And I think, Danny, I'm going to let you speak about it since your hand is raised. I keep forgetting to announce it. Uh, but how do we claim the poem for today, Danny? Uh, 
Hey mate, just uh, write me on DM. Uh, we're very grateful for you to be here. We're very grateful for the time to to remark uh, Ana Maria's artwork. So just DM me, and I'll send you the link for for your co-ops. Ani, uh, since the first time I heard you on that twentieth uh, of July when when you read your poem on that space, I'm sorry, on that room that we made for for Colombia, or was it a space? No, it was a room. What? what? When, when I heard you reading, your poems are amazing, but when you put your voice behind them, it's just next level. And commas start to take a new meaning when you do it. So we'll love to hear from you and your artwork. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, it's you know you're not used to talking about yourself like for an hour like this, kind of. So it's just um, I'm very honored, honestly. Thank you. Um, so I will, I'll read a poem, and this is the most complex poem that I've launched as an NFT. Um, I'll give it a little bit of background. It starts with like an everyday task of cooking, and it uses this as a launching pad to explore more philosophical questions. At the poem's core is the question of, um, sort of what do we need in our lives? Like, is it order or is it adventure? Um, and it, it also questions like, can we have both? Can we have order and adventure, right? Because that's what we ideally would, would want to get at. And it uses um, the philosophies of a couple of thinkers that I really admire. Um, one is Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, he's like a, this um, you know, sort of natural American philosopher who invited a return to nature. And he has this essay called The American Scholar that um, criticizes man's need to organize and name everything instead of just being and flowing with nature. And then on the other hand, um, I, I bring in the voice of Goethe, who's a German writer who, um, in his work Faustus, um, you know, sort of subtly um, calls attention to man's need for more and more and more and more. Uh, the work starts with God surrounded by his angels saying, oh, I've done such a great job, look at this creation, look at the world, like, I couldn't have done a better job, and then, you know, there's Mephistopheles, the devil, in the corner saying, well, I don't know, is man really that great? And God's like, yeah, man is the best, absolutely. Um, and Mephistopheles is like, oh, I don't know. And then God's like, well, if you don't know, go test my best man, which is Faustus. And so, you know, that's when Faustus makes his famous deal with the devil, to um, see if it's possible to really um, know and experience awe and what the cost of that is, right? So that voice is in the poem. And then there's solace is found, um, sort of the middle ground, in a figure that I really like um, in history, which is Carl Linnaeus, who was um, the inventor of the binomial system of naming. And he named the world. He named homo sapiens. He named plant species. He organized um animals into all the categories and genuses uh, which is really amazing and at the same time had himself this uncategorical life uh, where he invited students and he had a crazy garden and he was just a wonderful historical figure um so i wanted to give it a little bit of context before i read it um okay so i'll read it now it's called fruition there must be a right way to chop cauliflower. One that doesn't spew a million tiny florets all over the kitchen counter 
like so many clots of beige blood bursting from a zero-gravity wound. You see, I have this problem whereby I can't stand mess anymore, which is a problem because Emerson says it's a problem. This need of my mind to categorize, though I can't help the despair I feel, which must look like rage to my children, when I see burnt turmeric all over the stove before sitting down to eat. I know what you're thinking. Why not heat up tortillas? But I have this other problem, which is I crave tikka masala every week. And that's a problem because Goethe says it's a problem. This need of my mind to live full at all cost. So I mince ginger and onion, though the skins and rinds drive me nuts. Even crazier, I'll oversprinkle cumin and coriander until they jet out of the pan because, come on, live a little. But then immediately, I must sponge it up. So I wonder if I'm the secret villain from a Telemundo soap opera who won't just chill and grill tortillas, but instead must wreck the lives of other people. Here, other people's lives, a metaphor for tikka masala. But you got that, of course. And the mess in my kitchen isn't so bad as the rush in my brain to tidy it up. Not as bad as how my opposing problems collide. My desire for explosive mixtures of spices bang against my fixation for impeccable counters. Now you see why I must turn and return to Linnaeus, who tells me it's fine to catalog every crumb while I concoct a categorically unsortable life. It's very funny because I literally two nights ago made curry and the coriander and the curry are all burned on top of my stove and I'm freaking out and I'm serving dinner and I'm like, I got to clean this mess. Like this is too much to handle. (laughs) So I'm laughing and I love, I adore art that makes me laugh. And so I'm grateful for you, Ana Maria, because it reminds me that, you know, we just take things too serious sometimes and uh, I love how uh, these seriousness can be translated to uh, just smiles and realizing that you know 
life is moments and life is too short uh, but we're also so connected and weird and I love this so yeah this is so great and I'm gonna ask Daniela and Diana if we want to ask one last question um, before we start bringing people up and uh, I think if we extend it maybe uh, uh, 10 minutes would that be okay for the four of you uh, for me, listening to you and this amazing woman is just, I could be here forever. So, and in fact, Anna, in fact, I want to repeat this with deeper questions on your childhood in Colombia because I'm an 80s guy as well. So, I will, and Jimena, I know as well. So, I would love to hear more from that because it's amazing what you told us, but I would love to hear some more from this. Sure. I mean, I, I don't. Do you want me to talk about the 80s in Colombia? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we can repeat this again, you may. Oh. We, we will have you again here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, de definitely. I think. Talk about Juan is for a while. I <laughs> <laughs> we can even play it, uh, but uh, I think what Danielle is saying is that an hour is not at all enough, and that we need to have you back uh, because I was I was saying before you just you're rich, uh, full of life, of stories, uh, of cohesive, uh, just things that have happened to you that make you uh, be here in this space, and it's just fun and interesting. Uh, to hear it and to hear all those experiences and how you've translated those experiences into art and a spoken word in writing and it's just uh, it really just like strings all the course of my heart and I was going to start painting and I realized I'm using the iPad to record the conversation today so I'm like darn it I wanted to make a piece of art uh, as you were reciting uh, you know that beautiful piece but anyways that will happen that will happen soon uh, and yeah, with that said, um, Lila, you raised your hand. How are you, my love? Thanks for being here as always. Uh, love you so much. And the floor is yours. Hi, guys. You know, I love all three of you. And Anna, you know, I love you a lot. And I just wanted to come up to, to let you know something. I mean, your, your story is just so full of everything that I, I don't know what to say or to comment on. But... I really wanted you to know that that poetry hasn't been my thing. I read it, I don't understand it. And uh, but when I, you poem the first time, a few days after we, we had met on, on, on one of the spaces here, and I was in my kitchen, and uh, and, and, and your poetry came out. I think it was a tweet, and I started listening to it, and I started crying right away. And that had never happened to me with with poetry because I did not understand that. And then every time you post something, have all these emotions and, and like Daniel said, the poses, those, those comments, like comments that you, you learn how to appreciate it when, when they come in your, in your tones and with your voice. And um, I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for uh, making me appreciate poetry, you know, ever. Because when I was younger, like 17, I was like super, like I'm an artist, I love poetry. And I didn't understand it anyway. It was just, you know, it was just something you had to say because you were an artist, but I did not get it. And, and now I do, and it's because of you. So um, thank you. And that's all. That's the reason I wanted to come up. Wow, Laila, I am so honored and I admire you so much as well. Um, I feel like, you know, this is why I'm here. 
like honestly it's 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 to share poetry not just mine but poetry in general with a new engaged audience with the face that there is the interest there and that perhaps poetry just hasn't been presented in a digestible and attractive way and you are not wrong to not have like poetry i mean the poetry we were taught in high school is like religious verse from the 1800s like it's hard to relate to that you know uh, i get it and and there's just so much more to poetry than than what we are taught unfortunately um and there's just no connection between the, the you know the traditional poetry world and and the virtual space that is emerging around crypto um so i'm just happy that we're friends <laughs> Ani, I'm going to read uh, a question that was uh, written in the thread, and it's from Swati. And she wrote, what resources would you suggest for someone starting out in the crypto writer space? Um, Swati, she's not here, um, but, yeah. but um, I will respond definitely to her tweet. Um, but I'm going to DM her the um, the um, Crypto Writers Discord so that she can get started there. I think that's a really great resource because there's not just my journeys in there, but all sorts of different journeys of all kind of different writers um, are kind of summarized in, in that Discord. Um, and I think that you know, what she's doing, which is kind of watching and learning, um, is really important to take your time to, to kind of understand what you feel comfortable with in the crypto writing and I mean the crypto sphere right just kind of jumping in blindly um you know you feel all this rush and this pressure to time 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 is like you know move so quickly here but really just taking your time to see what people are doing I think is valuable um to learn a little bit um yeah I think that's I think that's the best advice thank you Ani I think that's a uh, great advice, really great advice. When I first uh, came into the space, I kind of jumped in and uh, didn't really take that much time to to see what other people were doing. And like exactly like you said, you feel that kind of pressure. Um, go, 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 because everything moves so fast. But now, um, having been in the NFT space, I guess, uh, for a few months since March, I, I feel exactly what you just said i think it's good to take time i myself i'm taking time now as well um so it's uh, a very valuable advice i agree 